Hello folks and welcome to What's The Scene. This is the show about shows, or more accurately, a podcast about movies. I'm Adam Jacobs and join me and Jonathan Hewitt as we look through the lens at some landmark films, and by lens I mean the bottom of a red wine glass. You can play along, see if you can guess What's The Scene. Hello, folks, and welcome. What do you think, actually, first, Johnny, about that new introduction that we've got for the show? I think it, it classes the whole thing up. It's gone, oh. it's gone from uh, A to double A class. I think I, uh, I spent a, maybe five takes to get that final recording. And, uh, I thought you did I, it yourself. And I thought you put all, the, all the, the pops and crackles in as well, just to fox oh, that, Yes, no, it, it, took me, it, took, it took me and the band. <laughs> the in the in-house band uh, a month of rehearsal just to get that one i reckon that one i reckon that band's been in the ground for some 60 years it doesn't matter <laughs> welcome folks to what's the scene and this is the show about shows or more accurately the podcast about movies and we are going to play a little game we're going to give you some ingredients and then you have to guess the film uh, we won't, we'll uh, drip feed you, but we won't drag it out quite as long as we did with the last episode. Wow, we almost forgot to actually talk about the right scene. We and did mention it, the film along the way, though. Eventually we did, yes. It is. It, I think 22 minutes is our longest uh, <laughs> before we actually got to the subject. Long before, yeah. What can we possibly be talking about for 22 minutes before the film is even identified? That's... Oh, that deserves some sort of accolade. We should, and we we've promised a, an award somewhere for doing something as, as um, benign as that. Surely, yeah? there must be some sort of award for the most long-winded introduction <laughs> to a podcast ever. <laughs> before the clicks of people turning off across the globe. <laughs> Alerted to it. However, all right, okay. it's all about the it's about the game, isn't it? The game's about, afoot. Indeed, and the experience and the overall experience. And I think what the people are really connecting with are the the the, the uh, potent personalities that drive the uh, the the um, industrial machine that is what's the scene podcast. Of course, that's what they that's what they're tapping. <laughs> I want to believe this, <laughs> but the viewers, you know, they'll, they'll uh, judge for themselves, no doubt. <laughs> they will. Well, uh, we should introduce the personalities. My name's Adam Jacobs. And I'm John Hewitt. And we love movies. Okay, so what's the scene? Well, I'll give a big hint in the first instance, but it'll sound like a big hint because it's actually the name of a film, Serpico. Indeed, and a, and a version of Serpico uh, within the film. Mm. A damn good um, attempt, I thought. A pl- the play within the play. Yes, it uh, is. Uh, it's not Hamlet, but it does, no. a, it does a, a sterling job. I think it borrows quite a bit from Hamlet in many ways. It does. A young, the youth lost, um, searching love, um, mm. a coming of age. Yeah. yeah. Lots, lots of comedy. <laughs> no. <Okay>. Indeed. <laughs> Maybe not. Tra- tra- comic, tra- comical, comical, partial, partial, yeah, partial. <laughs> tramedy. Mm, a tramedy, yes. Is, is that a thing? No, we've made it one. 
Oh, it's um, trauma and comedy mashed together. Absolutely. Uh, uh, which we hope this podcast does. <laughs> like the train train wreck that it, uh, <laughs> that, that that it, it invariably is. It always wants it to be. Mm. Um, so, yes, we, we do. Uh, this film that we're talking about features a play. And the play is a remastering a reconfiguring of the film Serpico. And it's performed by school age children. Is that, that uh, uh, does it sound like we're lying yet? No, I, I, that's for the viewer, <laughs> the, the, the audience to, to work out. It's, it's, it's a bit like a coming of age, a really jarring coming of age film. It is. Yes, in it that, is. In that our hero is probably years older than he should be. Uh, and there's no reason for him to come of age because he's come of it. The only thing, he's trapped in a young man's body. It is It is a, a young man's uh, body type story. It's like Benjamin Button, but without the Benjamin or the Button. Or the Button. Mm. Yeah. So it's a, we are talking about a, a, a film that has at its centre – um, a focus on uh, education and schooling and being passionate about the schooling. And no, it's not Dead Poet Society. Mm. We should clarify that. Uh, so what else can we say? One more clue before we, before we give it away. What do you reckon? Well, I'd, uh, yes. I, 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 not having a, a big tag on this director, uh, I've come to appreciate and love him. Um, I can't get over a, a, a first movie that, A, he could snag $10 million for. I think that is a big get um, yeah. for someone that, of, of, of that, you know, of his youth. Mm. Um, but um, uh, Sundance um, fostered film, we could give that as a clue, mm. I think. I think it was. We could. And we could say, we could name drop a couple of other films, which will really give it away. Grand Budapest Hotel. Mm. Um, the what would have been another one? Uh, uh, I Heart Huckabees. Is that them? I is think you've, the right I think you've given it away. If anyone knows directors, uh, yeah, well, that's right. Wes Anderson. We're talking about Wes Anderson. We're talking about what surely is his first film or feature length film or very close to it, especially in the canon of films that he's known it for. It was. He did a little um, pilot movie, which was a charming little number. I've never seen it, but this was his first. Um, Biggin, and it's quite long for a first movie. It's um, it's and it holds together. It yes, it's a, it is quite episodic, but it does, uh, which is consistent with his his approach. He must have. It'll be interesting to know a little bit more about that story. I haven't uh, gone to the trouble of researching Wes Anderson's uh, backstory in terms of his inspirations as such, but uh, it is. In, uh, it is the first of the kind of films that he is known for, and it is, of course, Rushmore. Then mm. those of you who are Wes Anderson films, and a lot of people possibly wouldn't would be fans of Rush, would be fans of Wes Anderson, but not necessarily ever come across Rushmore. Possibly. Well. Can I going through budgets? You know, I'm a bit of a numbers man because I love small movies that make mm. large amounts of money. Yeah. Um, you know, you could imagine 
something like Clerks, for example, which I have a you know a little spot in my heart for, was made for you know two hundred fifty thousand dollars, and it you know made a huge amount of money. Uh, yeah, and uh, this made one hundred and seventy. I love the way they said this: one hundred and seventy to one hundred and ninety million. So there's a lazy two hundred million that's been lost or fallen down behind the, <laughs> the couch. <laughs> Yeah, that's right. Yeah, twenty. Oh no, sorry. Can I go back a bit here and say that uh, Clerks was not? It was made for twenty-seven thousand five hundred seventy-five dollars. And this is what I like about movies: is that um, it, they're not out to, you know, the production values are, are not out to kill the world, but they, the, the writing, and just the sheer, you know, um, vivaciousness of, of it all, and the uh, and the uh, ability to keep to to um, plot and work within your means. It's, it's fantastic. This is one of those films. Although for $10 million, a lot of movies that are made in, for example, small getaway places like Australia, um, movies have been made um, you know, for that and, um, and don't look anything like this. That's true. And where Australia lays claim to the greatest profit cost mm. uh, movie ever made, I believe. Well, we, we are exporter of the best cameramen and technicians to Hollywood. Um, and the rest of the world, you know, everyone. Yes. And I was listening to the other day to you know all the cameramen in, in England who work for all of the news outlets of all Australia, and um, yeah, it's a testament to uh, their know-how wherever Australia is. Yes, no, we're not really sure. Even the people who live here don't know. You know, sometimes we look at a map and we point to Tasmania and we go, "Is that it?" Yeah, and everyone's like, "No, that's that's not." Well, I don't always say that it's not because then everyone gets really sensitive because they feel like they're offending Tasmanians, which is fair enough. And that is that is what Don't knock Tasmania. That's where we're all moving once global warming cuts in. Oh, absolutely. I can't wait. I'll have a, a, a tr- treehouse apple, apple tree style and I'll make uh, my own um, barrels for uh, fermenting uh, pear juice. I don't know. Anyway, people have a general... Why is it I can see that immediately? <laughs> because it's Tasmania. <laughs> no, but you. Anyway, that's, that's beside the point. Back to Rushmore. Uh, okay, indeed, back to Rushmore. So, yes, Rushmore is a film that we're talking about. Then the scene that we, uh, I, I must admit, uh, Rushmore is my favourite film. Okay, folks, so that's why we're looking at it. It's also, I do have an interest in... Wes Anderson generally, so there's something to talk about there. Rushmore is interesting because it was written by Wes Anderson, but it's also written by Owen Wilson, and they obviously, as most people know, the Wes Anderson story, the Wilson brothers and the Wilson uh, connection, the Bill Murray connection is very strong and and has persisted through his career. So it's a it's it's one of those. Uh, films where you can really get a sense of how the the comedic voices that were driving it were were, were fresh and um, mm. really energised and but also uh, keenly aware in the first instance about how to be reserved, how to get that that deadpan uh, performance out of the actors. Well, you don't have to try hard with Bill Murray. No, that's right. And I tell you what, as the film goes on, his his opportunities to communicate become less and his lines become quite, quite constricted. Uh, even, even at the end when, when the teacher, the English teacher, um, Olivia, she, um, I forget the character's name. She is coming back 
to the Bill Murray character and and admitting gently her her love for him, even in those moments, you know, he's he's still reticent and he's still uh, he's, he's really continues to be this sort of shut down, mm. defeated, uh, a middle aged chap, a beaten down industrialist. Yeah, whose job it is to make industry. Um, being the business of, of America, being business. Yeah. Oh, by the way, her, her name is uh, Olivia Williams in life, and they named her Rosemary. Why don't they just name her Olivia and be done with it? Anyway, she's, yeah. she's superbly English. She is, and she could be known by either name. A Rosemary by another name would mm. be surely be Olivia. Beautifully put. Thank you very much. I know my Shakespeare. I know it well mm. enough. Mm. You know, shall I compare these to an Olivia? Though art more rosemary than now, it's getting out of control. And just slow down, <laughs> <laughs> slow down, Adam. <laughs> All right. So, how do we feel about this? Uh, now, can we say it's a re- restrained comedy? Do we say it's a black comedy? Do we say it's a what sort of label do we put on oh, the Wes Anderson vibe? I don't know. It's like a coming of age, but of course, the, the our hero uh, Max. We're talking Max. It is Max. It's Max played beautifully in a kind of deadpan Jason Schwartzman kind of way. Who I like. I saw him do a couple of series of uh, Bored to Death, and I thought he was very good at it. He's uh, he takes on um, he deadpans quite nicely through the absurd. And this film is not short on the absurd. You've got to keep on. You, you've you've got to be willing to escape into it because uh, it's it's quite mad and disjointed in some ways, but he holds it together quite well because he's so determined to succeed. It is it, like we are in a situation with this film where the uh, old head has been pl- plunked rather well and um, truly unceremoniously on on the young shoulders, mm. and we're asked to accept quite a bit in terms of the uh, plausibility. And Which is half the fun because they put um, they must have stolen lines from Hammy B movies of the 50s, 60s, 70s, whenever, and put them straight in his in his mouth, and um, he does well. That's true. They they it does have that feeling like it's got um, it's kind of driven by cliches. Mm. Uh, even right at the end, uh, when uh, Rosemary and uh, now I've got to remember what the Mel, Bill Murray. Character's name is um, Mr. Herman. Herman, of course. How could I forget got that? Two, Rosemary. two supposedly dorky names. <laughs> Herman, and and I think his his kids' names are Ronnie and Donnie or something like that. So yeah, yeah, it's, 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 yeah. Uh, yeah. So oh, it's, it's one of those things where they 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 lay it on, but it's not too much. So yes, that's true. And they um at the end he says he's got this line. She asks, you know, what do you think of the play? I like how. With, with many of the intimate sort of love-making conversations because there's never really anything physical that happens. And the only physical thing that really does happen in a sexual way is, um, is rather confrontational, even though it's not, uh, it's not um, any, there's no nudity or anything. But we'll talk about that in a moment. Is um, at the end when, you know, they're obviously reconnecting again and they're, and they're having a, uh, having a, a, a special moment over a cup of um, takeaway tea out the front of the theatre, she says, you know, what do you think of the play? And then uh, the Bill Murray character says, um, I hope it has, an happy, has a happy ending, mm. you know. 
It's, and it's sort of staged like one of these classic movie moments oh, from and almost and like play within the play within the play because there are plays all the way through this and, and they they skip from the the reality such as it is back to the plays and it's mm. mirrored through these uh, interludes on stage and uh, yeah. Bill Murray's just very very jealous because he would like to be Max I think <laughs> there is a bit of that for sure and Max is a is enviable it's 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 quick it's is interesting and this is where the question of plausibility comes into it how quickly their friendship develops because it goes from max just sort of uh, chasing him down after an assembly to um to you know why don't you come and work with work for me Mm. you know like just like that (laughs) and uh there's something about the... Oh well, that's the that's the line though. He says it very early. What's your secret, Max? Yeah, I love that. And line. Max says you just do what you love doing, and and he, of course, the absurdity is that the, in the first five minutes he's the head of everything from fencing to, <laughs> <laughs> to you know the caber throwing to whatever you know whatever he is, he's the head of it. And you've got to have people like these are the movers and shakers. Well, this is it, and it's. It seems, in terms of the plausibility, it seems quite reasonable that the Herman character would ask Max, you know, "Hey, come and work for me," mm. uh, because that Max is a dude who just seems to get things done. He's he's only a kid, however, and the things he wants to do are all centered around Rushmore, but. Those, uh, those skills are definitely transferable and it takes someone special like Imagine Herman. him in a, in a garage in, um, you know, in, in San Francisco creating a computer, for example, but he's more of a romantic, but he's someone who just he, gets things done. He brings people together and that's why we love him. It, indeed. And when I suggested, you know, what's the scene for this uh, episode, obviously the film Rush, is Rushmore, but the scene, I wanted to have a look at that Serpico scene right through to the end of the dinner scene uh it's really not a scene it's a sequence it's two scenes uh just purely because the the flip out that he <laughs> that he but the serpico scene's wonderful because oh, the i've Serpico's seen a few great. a few um, plays at schools and <laughs> and you know the paste on beards and uh and the lines that are actually delivered fairly convincingly by teenagers uh is hilarious it is a premise, and I think this is—it's the same as uh, that we're seeing through Max all the way through. You're seeing these extremely, you know, um, you know, adult lines coming out of a boy. Much, yeah. that, of course, he's about 22 at the, you know, and when he's doing this is Jason, but um, that's the, the theme of all of this is you know boys being grown up. They're playing at it, aren't they? It's almost like it's a mocking so, in a way. So's Bill Murray, really, when you think. <laughs> That's true. He is. He's a boy at heart, and well, I a, lot probably... of, a lot of people are. I think a lot of men. I didn't. Didn't um, Andy Warhol say uh, men try to keep um, uh, to be teenagers or adolescents till forty or, or fifty? I can't remember which, but uh, it's it's true. And and actually, if you ask Donald Trump, it could be eighty. <laughs> no, no offense to the Trumpians out there. No, of course not. Crikey, we we uh, have we hold no political political uh, position at all, uh, or persuasion, or um, or prescription, <laughs> for that matter. Either. So uh, you'll find your own remedies, folks. <laughs> well, I think we've said enough about that. All right. So, and I do like 
that it is a bit sort of um, implausible and once again, it's this the line, how close can we walk to the, to the ridiculous line that we have um, one of the Wilson brothers turn up in scrubs as a friend of the, of the teacher. But I, I, I bought into that rather, rather easily because I figured that the Rosemary character wanted to just give a really clear message to the Max character that, you know, hey, whatever you think is going to happen, uh, I will, it's certainly not going to involve anything romantic. And I, I think she did, she was thinking specifically about this so-called after dinner that he had invited her to. So she kind of um, dinner bombed, uh, well, she got this dude along to sort of dinner bomb mm. the the affair which, uh, so in that way, I was, I was willing to accept that. You know, scrubs were a bit much. I mean, he could have thrown on a jumper, but who cares? I think she was <laughs> making making a point. I do like the way that he try, does try to kiss her at one stage, and she puts her two fingers on his forehead. I think it pushes him down, uh, and she's quite a, a large, tall woman. And I think she, it's very good because uh, Jason's not tall, and uh, he does it very well. This this notion that he wants it so badly, and um, she can't make him see. Dare I say reality? I mm. mean, we're going to have to come back to this reality business because Max doesn't, he's, he, he manufactures it as he goes along. But it's amazing how many people he can involve in it, in his, his uh, alternate reality. The universe, yeah. Yeah, like, like the idea that, you know, Herman would commit $8 million of his money ultimately to a giant fish tank uh, is quite, quite implausible. Mm. But... It's 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 a celebration of of the heart, and what it's willing to do, uh, the, the ridiculous lengths it will go to to mm. to foster love. And, and and I think everyone wants love, and I think a lot of teenagers must have, dare I say, um, it, it pulled in you know that much money, you know, a couple hundred mil. Um, so a lot of teenagers must have loved the idea of Max. They must recognise him in the school. The, the one who's involved in everything, the mover and shaker, um, the, the romantic, um, the, the adult that is nascent, and, mm. it's, and it's fun. It's, it's almost like, like Max is sort of like a, an actualised sort of self-aware version of the Napoleon Dynamite character. Ah. You know, who's, who, that is quite ridiculous as well, the film is. is it, I think it actually walks closer to the line of plausible than Rushmore does. But the idea that we've got uh, a character who in, in many ways appears to be disconnected from reality, who ultimately is, is kind of like a, a um, conductor or a master of, of, mm. of, um, of, of success, you know, like a, like a, mm. like, like he's sort of um, he's able. No, he's no Walter Mitty, is he? He's not in a dream dreamland where he's you know no. totally and you know, divorced from reality. He's actually it's... creating it for a lot of people in this film. He's yeah. getting people like anyone who writes a play and puts people on. You've got to love them. Yeah, absolutely, indeed. And because I think what the what like directors, for... I suppose, and writers. So, so we're actually seeing a creative, you know, urge and instinct in Max, which is certainly in Wes Anderson. Um, while he's making the movie. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 
I mean, um, I think the, the way I'm thing I'm trying to describe is the brilliance in boldness. You know, the brilliance in just being active, uh, and that's what uh, Max is. You know, he's just so bold and assured of himself, and and willing to put aside any uh, any ignorance because uh, he knows <laughs> he knows enough. Yes. He knows enough in any given moment to proceed. And if he knows enough to proceed, then he will proceed. Yes, and know. he will carry along uh, people with them, uh, with him. I'm, I'm reminded of Catch-22, Milo Minderbinder, who is running and going to create the whole, you know, American war economy. And he starts off with, what's that, Minderbinder? An egg, sir. And he, it is that, that charm, um, that, that, that belief in, in his own logic. That yeah. carries uh, at least that part of Catch Twenty Two through into its uh, hideous conclusion, but certainly in this as well, you've got this the supreme belief in self and in the idea. Mm. And it's it's funny how he he's a caricature of of a grown up. Like we've already mentioned this, that he sort of postures as someone older in a way that's um, in a way that seems quite uh, quite sincere. He's not as if he's. It's not pretense. He's not pretending. So there's a, there's a sense that he's uh, searching for a kind of maturity mm. that he's already. Uh, he feels like he it's 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 it is who he is, you know, and he wants well, it now. With, with the caveat though that his dad, the barber, is uh, at at uh, once a surgeon, a brain surgeon. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. And uh, and, uh, and whenever he's uh, Max does not leave that uniform, uh, no matter what situation is he's in, whether he gets expelled uh, and goes to the public school, he still ends up in that green jacket and uh, with his, you know, perfect. Um, you know, tags on his on his labels. Uh, he is uh, a boy who is an outsider, yeah. and uh, you know, and this is you know in clash with Ronnie and Donnie, who are, you know are uh, Herman's you know rich bratty sons, who hilariously like to um, Greco, you know, uh, wrestle with each other. <laughs> and that beautiful line that Bill Murray says as, as his character. I don't know how I gave birth to those. <laughs> I never in my wildest dreams would have <laughs> imagined I'd have sons like these. Yes. Yeah, yeah. It's it's be- it's beautiful. It's it's um he wants a creator and he, that's why he likes Max. So. That's right. Yeah, he's there is definitely a a father son dynamic between the two of them mm. in that um they're both sort of longing for something in each other. It's it's funny because when you, we first introduced to Max's father, we see him as a barber and we're not entirely sure that he is the father until the haircut is finished mm. and Max is able to see the, the see, see his reflection <laughs> and then just pulls out the math test and says, oh, by the way, Dad, I need a signature for this. <laughs> he was 37. <laughs> something like that reminds me of my mathematics anyway uh, indeed but you do have uh, characters like that there's uh, you know the, the the lovely um i assume she's margaret yang would be chinese mm. there are other outsiders that are, are brought in and uh, and max is very careful to see in everyone their potential and i think the margaret yang connection with him uh, and at the end when they 
I mean, there's no point in plot in uh, in spoiling this. Um, they actually get together, and they are. We we hope there'll be a romantic tryst between people their own age. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I do like her. I think she's a, a nice touch in the film because uh, she's, um, uh, you know, she's innocent. I mean, that's the thing about Max. He's he's such a uh, an innocent boy when it comes yeah. down to it. But he's got a you know grown man's head screwed on he's he's just read so much and he's become the romantic that he is Mm. it's it's interesting how he's sort of playing this role uh, this 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 act of maturity which um which is very well suits him than that he's also a playwright because he's so he's in this play within the play sort of within the play as they say because he does engineer and he directs he, he kind of sets people up to be mm. in these awkward situations and especially um, rosemary and herman you know he he's sort of directing even when he's not on the stage but then the plays themselves of serpico is an interesting choice to make that he should rewrite that uh, and, I, and I love his sidekick, the, the young kid with the blonde hair who's playing the nun oh, yeah. Yeah. in Serpico. <laughs> I didn't know. Yes, of course. Yeah. Um, it's a, yeah. That's that's lots that's, of fun. Uh, Dirk is the uh, yeah, is, Dirk. Is, the, is the character's name. Played beautifully. I, you know, sometimes it can be cloying, but I think uh, he was handled so well. In a, in a, you know, the director Wes did so well to make him um, so earnest. Yeah, that's right, and to and to really to maintain the innocence, but also mm. uh, giving the confidence to to be you know to have to have quite quite a backbone. Uh, it's it's beautiful. The comp- well, yeah. it is about backbone. What's the quote? Uh, the quote is um, from Herman, and he gets up to give the speech. Oh, yeah, the speech, and he, and he says it's a very short speech, and that sort of dorky way that he has. Uh, he says it's not about money. I, I would give any money for for a backbone. So have yeah. a backbone, yeah. and uh, I think that's you can't seems... you can't buy backbone exactly. That's and I think that's the theme of the movie. It's one of those things that's got to come from the heart, and that's what makes the film so beautiful. In some and ways. I think when he, when he opens up the letter and he puts it out as he as if it is his speech, it's like a it's like a uh, a lone rejection letter. Mm. So it's not even, which I thought was classic. He's just got, got a piece of random piece of paper from his desk, and he's just pretending that he's. It's his speech, anyway. But that's a, that's very much how I think it, it, that's his style. Is that there's there's kind of no content to a lot of yeah. a lot of roles that he does. And I mean, when I see him in movies, I just think he's probably wandered in from the party that's ended last night. And yeah. he says, "Well, what do, where do you want me to stand?" So yeah. he just comes in, and he does it sometimes beautifully. Um, um, that, but you've got to hand it to him to do a film like that for probably not a lot. Um, he, he does short, you know. Actually, it's not a short miniature part, although he does lots and lots of those. But he's in there, and he's always doing it for you know young filmmakers, and he does you know things like that. You've got to hand it to him. Oh, absolutely, crikey! And you know, he, I think he only really does what he wants. You yes, know, yeah. and and he and got a guy like him can. More That's or less, right. Can. He's, he's done his uh, Saturday Night Live. Um, he can he can then start to pick and choose and and have fun. I think that's mm. what he does, which mm. is what all of us want. That's right. And uh, in that way, I'd have to say that uh, uh, this this the choice for Serpico as a play is is great. I like that. It's uh, bizarre. It's, 
it's an it's an alp it is strange but it's like uh but you it's it's one one player that you think how do the rest of the play developed until they get to that scene. I know. Yeah, Everyone goes there to see that one scene yeah. and you assume that, my God, there must have been really good going hammer and tongs before they got to that particular scene of that intensity. And that's part of the, you know, the willing suspension of, you know, belief that we all, you know, love with Wes Anderson films. That's right. I mean, on this, on the page, that, that, that place scene would be, you know, four or five pages, I suppose. But uh, obviously the, the bigger bigger part of it is is a complete story that celebrates you know the, the one cop in the in the dirty town that uh, refused to take the take the bribe money and mm. and uh, stood up against the uh, against all the corruption yeah. uh, so and Wes <laughs> Anderson is giving you a nod to that um, kind of spirit I that's right and, but then and it, to a film that he obviously loves that's right it's a and also it's a it's a chance for that gumshoe type of detective you know um, language that that sort of um, rough talking kind of throw around sort of um, dialogue that uh, those those um, detective sort of movies were known for uh, to be to be celebrated mm. and it's once again it's like Max in his life borrowing these phrases. Mm from the adult world, you know, he, in, in the way that he presents the, the young men and, and in the place. And didn't we all as kids come out of the, at whatever film we saw and start doing yeah, it? Yeah, that's right. I mean, don't Americans do it anyway? You know, don't politicians behave like politicians in the movies? That's true. But there are other, other homages that are more, you know, I'm not saying whether they're subtle or not or whether I, I'm, you know, I'm making this up, but my favourite one is the slow-mo after all the bees are released in the hotel uh, <laughs> by Max. And it's all done and he comes down out of the uh, elevator and it's all done in, uh, uh, you know, Scorsese slow motion. They, they make fun yeah. And I thought, oh, isn't that good? It's very clever and it's nice aside, you know, to someone, again, another director who he loves, you know, so much. Yeah. And uh, and it, it, it's not, you know, he doesn't take the piss. It's just it's one of those things that he's he's just giving a nod to. And so the, and the film has these uh, little pastiches through it. And I love I, I like that. It does. The, the, that montage, that revenge montage is great because it ultimately doesn't mean anything. Like that's the best part about it is that they go to this, this extent. Uh, it cuts the break um, lines in the, in the roles and all this <laughs> sort of stuff. Bentley. Yeah, on the Bentley. It nearly runs over the gardener, but not quite. <laughs> <laughs> stops short. Uh, so They're not going to crash a Bentley, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I... Yeah, that I mean, montages are great for for just you know throwing in little uh, little sprinkles of, of homage. Uh, well, you of know. course, it's a big brother, little brother, you know, sort of relationship that that, that Herman and Max have, because they're both after the same woman, aren't they? It's mm. it, this jealousy, this sexual jealousy, which, <laughs> which a man of 50 is having with a boy of 14. And I think that's hilarious in itself. And I, I guess that empowers a lot of teenagers who might be watching this film. And I think that, and it's fun and uh, and it's quite moving as well because, uh, you know, she has her own backstory and uh, and it's quite sad. And she doesn't know what either of them want with her because she's in her own. I mean, there's kind of dark recesses in this film. 
Uh, and this is why when I watch it, I think this is not really a comedy and there's not really uh, a tragedy. It, it tends to straddle and uh, maybe that's not its strength in that, um, you, you, you know, but they're there, they're written in that she's lost her husband and then she's got this, you know, pubescent boy running after her, controlling, uh, controlling her life. Uh, so in a way it's darkly funny. Yeah, it is. It is. Yeah, I, I do see it as, as a black comedy. But just on that point of homage, which is a word you can easily get sick of saying too much, uh, at the end, the, the Vietnam uh, play. The Oliver Stone say, sort of play yes, that on stage. Mm. I, I love the uh, one thing that can be said about the play is, is the depth of field that he brings into it with the miniature helicopters deep in the back back of the of mm. the stage and and then the the A train, you know, running through, running through the suburbs <laughs> at the back of um, a Serpico, which is just such a cinematic way of doing a play. Mm. You know that uh, people mm. are. It's very old fashioned, and of course, every scene is is uh, introduced by a um, the stage curtains opening up so it's reverse you know that it's month one month two yes. month three month four yeah. and yeah. so that's very much so the whole thing is a play within a film within a play within life and and uh, mm. uh and uh, i find that it's a nice ruse and it works you know beautifully well it does i think the vietnam play is uh is definitely borrowing heavily from vietnam films and i like i like I particularly like the fact that he's he reminds the audience at the start that there is a pair of safety goggles and, <laughs> and ear, earplugs, earplugs mm. under your seats if you feel you'd like to use them. Yes. Uh, and, uh, and, uh, it's all done so casually that the young boy is given all this dynamite and saying, well, be careful, don't get it wet. And he's he's dragging it, obviously, to the stage night where they're going to use a lot of it <laughs> homemade. So all of this is all part of the, the great you know, uh, fun of of the play. Yeah, and I, I did. I th I thought that the the imitation of Tom Cruise oh. <laughs> was fantastic because you, you only have really... to put on the sun the shades. That's well, that's right. It. But it's it's when he comes when he lands on the on the stage for the first time in that Vietnam sequence. He is shaking his head around. His head's his head's wet. I don't know if you've noticed for the first fifteen years of Tom Cruise's no, life. He does, he does good wet, and he runs. His, very his well. hair was always wet. Yeah, and he runs. He's a very really good well. sprinter. Yeah. So so even when he came down, he's he, on the stage. His hair was wet, and he was shaking it around, and he was just doing these <laughs> sort of Tom Cruise mannerisms. And I thought that's just so. I wonder. I'd love to know if Wes was like you know, you know Tom in action mode. We, I want to see you kind of just come on there and just sort of shake the mane, you know, and, and do this sort of um, get gesturing. Girl. Yeah, get the girl. I love the way that they point the guns at each other. And, <laughs> see, and he says, will you marry me? Marry me. He says, yes. And so he's even stage managed that as he has done with the two in the in the audience. With the yes, that's right. The fair Rosemary sitting next to Herman. Yeah. Um, and, and Herman's thinking, he's done it to me again. <laughs> that's right, yeah. Thrown us, he's um, thrown us a fast one, uh, and I like uh, I like how she compliments him after the play. She says, "I really like the way you came in on the helicopter." Did you Did you catch that? It's like an aside. It's a throwaway line mm -hmm. as they transition into another scene. But um, Margaret Yang character says to Max, 
I really like the way he came in on the helicopter. And then Max turns around and says, yeah, it's just totally improvised. It's <laughs> 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 like, you can't just improvise something like that. You'd have to know that the gantry and the ropes and the guy who's running the prop, you know, mm. the set pieces would be, be able to take your weight from mm. all this. But anyway. But it was it's charming. I think the, the, the thing is about the all of the... The um, even the ugly characters. I mean, I, I even like the Irish one. Is he Irish or is he the Yorkshire one? The uh, Scottish. The Scottish. Scottish. Sorry, the two yes, boys the, are Scottish. Yeah. Uh, no, but uh, I'm thinking of um, um, who was the the one I've, I would look up the microphone. Oh, in Magnus, he's the one who's always. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> Did yeah. he get the job from from his mother or whatever? Yeah, yeah. I thought he was great. I mean, he's a bit like someone you, you'd see him in a um, you know in a tree or something like that. I think he may even be in one at some stage. Yeah. Um, you know, just giving uh, a, a chorus to the um, the ridiculousness of Max's endeavors. And it's a nice comeback when Max says, "I wrote a play for you." Rather than hurt him, rather than shoot him, as he does, he, you think he's going to shoot him with a gun at some stage, yeah. and he hits him in his other ear, which is, you know, uh, weirdly chewed off. So he, obviously Magnus <laughs> might have been in a fight at one stage. Who knows? Yeah. But um, he says, you want to be in the play? And he said, I've always wanted to be in one of your plays. So everyone wants to be in the fantasy. Yeah, yeah. I like the way Max says, I know. Like, you know, like <laughs> yes, of course. your day was always going to come and I've, uh, I've had my eye on you. Yeah. In this fatherly way that he absurdly has, he uh, does. I like the way he reasons with the um, the principal. <laughs> kick him out. Are you, are you Can sure? I see some do, you, do you have documentation? <laughs> <laughs> I wish I had that presence of mind when I was being thrown out of schools. You know, you, some people, some kids just have it. You know, that's true. They do. They just don't uh, don't have the same sense of fear. You know, and there's a, there is a celebration of fearlessness. Really, the whole the whole film. Hmm. Yeah. Oh, that was good fun. I enjoyed that one. Anyway, Rushmore, for those of you who haven't seen it, or you're a bit on the fence with the whole Wes Anderson vibe, which is fair enough. You know, it's not for everyone. I would say um, uh, Valentino, Moonshine and Valentino, is that the one? That's another one of his, yeah. Yeah, that's well worth checking out, that one. That's heaps of fun, that one. And they've got another stellar cast, really, really good He does. Cast. He pulls in people. It must be the Sundance crew that he, he got in because uh, did he do I Heart Huckabees? You mentioned that, didn't you? Yeah. Who's yeah. not in that film? Uh, it's, it's got everyone. You've yeah. Got, you've got to be kicking goals if, uh, if you've got people like that willing to work for you. Sort of. I mean, he kind of brought a, a, a alternative film vibe into the mainstream that's and a lot of alternative film sort of uh, success stories uh, end up uh, having to face that that um, that that snake eating its own tail kind of situation where they end up bringing into the mainstream a kind of a kind of um, cheeky you know guilty pleasure that film goers appreciate because of the because of the um, the low production values, you know, and mm. the and the rawness, the simplicity of it. Uh, they end up well, sort the, of... the ingenuity of it because it, it's really well di- um, directed. You know, when, when it is, I, I've, I'm always looking at shots and 
and uh, edits, cuts, montage, whatever. It is really well done. Mind you, uh, when we think we have done in the past another, you know, first movie by one Orson Welles, which was uh, had the same kind of joie de vivre uh, to it, mm-hmm. um, and um, it is possible to do a movie at 24 or, or some absurdly young age um, and um, to get, you know, um, good performances and uh, and a, a fantastic result. Yeah, it's, it's the, just the clarity of vision, I suppose, isn't it? Yes, very much so. Uh, I wish I had some of that. Mm. But anyway. Ah, vision. I've got clarity of other things. Well, yeah. I have claret in the glass. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, well, folks, I hope you enjoyed that one. Uh, Rushmore, it's a – I'll put my hand up and say that uh, I, I championed the uh, this film for our little podcast. Uh, but then there'll be another one coming along very soon. We'll have to have a chat about what we're going to do next. Hmm. And I think we'll pull one out of uh, left field. Um, it's a bit tricky because we don't want to do black and white ones from the old. Um, it's We don't know who the 19 members of our listenership um, are, <laughs> <laughs> whether they appreciate them. But we'll have another one, that's for sure, next time. Indeed we will. All right, folks, till then. <laughs>